What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but winners remain unbroken. That's the saying. Today, I am joined by a very special co-host of mine, dearest friend, probably my oldest friend, the onlyest friend, Mr. Uncle OMB, the Bradchester. What's going on? We're so glad that you got to jump in here. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So we're joined all the way over from the rockiest of toppiest rumbles. Today, our guest went through the Rocky rumbles. He went and tumbled. He went to the top and then played them all, all the way up to Mr. OMB himself. In round eight, we are bringing to you Seth Oster and his towel, losing to none other than Brad Chester. Today, we're going to go through the episode and figure out how the game went and talk about what Seth could have done better. How are you doing, Seth? I'm doing good, guys. How are you? doing fantastic magical so we were both at the rocky top tell me a little oh, bit hold about on, hold on we are not done with this intro bradley whoa, whoa, I, I apologize <laughs> some of our beautiful viewers our very loyal fan base they may have noticed that blake he he doesn't sound like his usual self today you know what that's because you're listening to none other than the one the only the brown magic that's right everybody i am nick nanavati and it's time to party we are here and i am going to give you my best Blake impersonation I could possibly can. So from this moment out, all right, everybody, let's talk like Blake Law. Oh, God. All right, Chester, <laughs> it is your turn to talk about 40K. I didn't this know is what... Forrest Gump. Blake I... is now Forrest Gump. Yeah, I know. I'm just like, I'm, I'm no longer even able to talk about 40K. Now you've broken my brain. Well, this is Ottawa Unbroken, so you better unbreak that and talk about Warhammer 40K. <laughs> can't wait for blake to hear this episode. i just he's gonna lose it i love it i'm more i'm more excited to hear blake's response to you parodying blake but so we both went to rocky top rumble down in knoxville tennessee tell me a little bit about the tournament tell me what your thoughts are going into it and what you brought yeah so it was it was an eight round tournament we knew going in that there was about 110 players so there was going to be the opportunity if if no one was undefeated there x and one could win this thing so it was definitely interesting because that meant even if you were going to lose you need to try to score high so that kind of played into the thought process a lot of the time and um i had been playing tau for a couple months i've had the army since i was a kid and actually, I was getting ready for Charity Hammer. And you guys have been to Charity Hammer before. Kind of one of the marching orders from Colin there is for the GT, let's not all play the same list. Otherwise, that's going to be boring. So I had been running kind of the standard like Hammerhead, you know, Tau Sep list. And Danny McDevitt was running that as well. And I was talking to him and he wasn't going to be able to change his list for Charity Hammer because he had a job. And so I, I was looking for a new a new list to try out with Tau. And I, I started talking to um, Arn from Belgium about his WTC list and... And we, we came up with what one of the other Art of War coaches, Anthony Vanella, has lovingly called thick cadre. <laughs> known for his thick cadres. He's good. In he industry. does. He loves his thick anythings. He does. He does. So the idea behind this was crisis suits are still pretty darn points efficient, but Tau tends to struggle with playing the primary. But what if the crisis suits could also play the primary? 
So we ended up going with a custom sept, which was blocking tactics and play their part. And immediately everyone's like, what the crap does that mean? Play their part is all crisis suits, including the commanders in the list, count as three models for objective purposes. And play their part says core infantry, which in this list is the crisis suits, gain obsec on the turn they charge until my next charge phase. So you, you talk about units that are, if you're full units, you're talking about 18 obsec models charging onto objectives. That's quite a lot. I could see how you take the primary control with Tau like that, for sure. Good premise for a list. Don't even know what to say. Keep it together, gentlemen. We're, we're trying. <laughs> we're, we're trying, trying. buddy. We're trying. Uh, let's talk about what we played. So let's run down the list real quick. So like I said, it's that, that custom set. It ends up being two patrols. And the list starts off with six CP because of it. We're running two commanders. Both of them are crisis commanders. I took those because, because this list charges in. I need tactical acumen from the crisis suits, it allows Tau to fall back, shoot, and charge. So you can fall back, shoot, you ignore the penalties for falling back and shooting, and then you charge. So it can keep those those suit units active. The first one is kind of the the, the backfield buffing one. Um, he was running uh, Exemplar of Manka, which is the full reroll to wound between 9 or 12 inches. He had, I believe it was the, the Gall Plate, which is the 2-up armor, 5-up feel no pain relic. And then he had three plasma rifles and a target lock. Target lock gives him ignore cover. And one of those plasma rifles was the Nova Surge, which is the plasma rifle that ignores involves. He then had two marker drones. My characters basically carried all my marker lights for this particular list. The rest of that patrol is a unit of 10 crew because you need some bodies. And then a unit of crisis suits. There was a total of six of them, all running two burst cannons, a plasma rifle. All the basic guys were running shield generators. And the squad leader was running the early warning override, so the free Overwatch piece of war gear. And then that unit had six shield drones. I also had a unit of four crew towns, which are the free no force org slot choice because I took a unit of crew. Flipping over to the second patrol, I've got another crisis commander. This is kind of the one that a lot of folks are, are kind of used to. That's the precision of the hunter commander. So the full reroll to hit and wound. I gave him the thermoneutronic projector, the special flamer, three cyclic ion blasters, two shield drones. And then his relic was the image projection, which is the four up invuln that the first time you fail at each turn, you ignore the damage. He also ran two marker drones. An ethereal, he had the warlord trader through boldness victory, which is pick a uh, core unit, aka the crisis suits. Six is the hit, auto wound. He also had the humble staff for two of the invocations, and he took wisdom of the guides and sense of stone. So get me an extra CP, get me a, a feel no pain. Um, and he had two marker drones as well, another unit of 10 crew another unit of four crew towns, and two more units of crisis suits. Both of these were exactly the same. So they were double plasma rifle, cyclic ion shield generators on all the regular dudes, and then plasma, cyclic ion, early warning on the squad leader, and six shield drones, and then two units of five Vespid. And that came out to like 1994, I believe. Very nice. <laughs> Sorry. So <laughs> his foolish opponent brought an Eldar list with Hail of Doom. Yeah, buddy. I had three times five shuriken cannon bikes, three units of ten dire adventures, four units of five pirates arc, yeah. two farseers, a warlock and a bike, a conclave of two walking warlocks, one with quicken restrain, the other with protect jinx. And then we had one unit of rangers, one unit of scorpions with crushing blow where I auto wound on hits on the Exarch. Two units of howling banshees, both with Exarch buffs. Only one, of course, can do the two damage one. Mm -hmm. And then I had some other stuff that I'm literally blanking on, but I know there's something else in my army. I swear to God. It's, it's, and it was really good. It was amazing. Baharoth, five swooping hawks. And a partridge in a pear tree. But that was pretty you much it. Striking scorpions? Did, did you get that? Yeah, with crushing blow. Yeah. 
And then the banshees and the bikes. I just I put know. them all together, kind of. It is endless like that. I did have a ton of stuff. I had so you much did. trash. It made me so happy. I'm not going to lie. Uh, having just junk more, just like a ton of, there's never been a more Brad list than this, that right? Just Bradley kept... Chester play style. He loves <laughs> his trash. I do love my <laughs> trash. So tell me about this game. So set the table, set the mission. Let me know what's going on. Give me a battle report. Yeah. So we ended up, uh, we knew uh, the event published what missions were going to be played and what ran out of time. So we knew that we were going into tear down the icons, which is a five objective mission. And it's kind of a diagonal deployment. And then Brad, you want to tell them about what the terrain system was for this event? It was player place terrain, and we had some large pieces of terrain. We had, didn't have a ton of pieces of terrain, but the pieces of terrain we had were large. We had two big and one small ruin, and then a portal. Por- portal. We had a, a crater and a forest. Crater and a forest. I don't know yeah. why I just decided that apparently my uh, crater was actually a portal. <laughs> a portal to pain. Yeah, it was a portal to pain. So we both set up, and basically the biggest role of the entire match was who gets to put the first piece of train down. I got to put that down, so I, I was able to put down a, a the biggest blocking ruins I could possibly put, and it was a very big L. So yeah. I was able to... That was literally the difference uh the biggest difference in the game because of the fact that i was able to just kind of stage behind this yeah so that gave you that gave you the ability to be on a midfield objective hide a a a fair amount of your army i think you ultimately were able to get like one or two units of bikes and some pirates and you know whatever combat units and support characters all in in a, a midfield position on an objective and still have pretty steep angles that I would have to cut to try to actually yeah. see any of that stuff behind there. Except for Dan Ted. We'll talk about him later. <laughs> Ted, Ted's the only reason I, I had a chance for a minute. So let me ask you this, Seth. This, this terrain placement, how did that factor into what armor you took to this tournament? Well, so knowing that we had these kind of really large ruins to hide, I I was able to hide, um, you know, most of my, if not all of my crisis suits and their drones and the supporting characters, basically each game. And and kind of my game plan going into it was always turn one, I'm going to try to move forward and try to place a piece of terrain in that in that pregame phase uh, where I have kind of a forward operating base where I can hide, you know, a little further up the field. But, you know, move forward, take whatever shots I can get. And then from that position, turn two, the idea is to try to rush out, shoot whatever I can and charge everything else. And then turn three, because I took Cayune every game, my entire army has access to fall back and shoot. Plus the commanders can make that happen without penalties. Exploding sixes. (laughs) Yeah. So you were all about staging up in that midfield position and then then killing somebody. And then when they retaliate, they can't stop you. You just fall back and blow them all up. And the thing is, is we were both, it was funny because we're both and if you watch the game, you can, because Joe gets Yeah, War us. Games Live streamed yeah. it. But we spend more time measuring each other's stuff, and I know people like that aren't used to that will wonder why, but it's specifically for how far can your stuff go, where do I need to be? And we did that with the terrain immediately back and yeah. forth. Yeah. That's interesting. Like When you watch two players who really know what's, what's on the up and up, and they're going at it with the measuring tapes, they're measuring everything. Like, that's... We measure everything. We pre practice. It was a big deal because we, we start off with that. You put a piece of terrain out, and then I put it, I measure out the entirety of where his deployment zone is, where he could possibly be. And then the next one, and then the, the very next one of the neutral zone uh, terrain was I'm trying to be here. So if you move, what's your maximum move? And I, I do think that people don't typically ask enough questions out of your, your opponent. 
even though it's a, again, you're trying to have a conversation in yeah. the first place, but we literally went, I want to do this. You know, the, how far can your maximum guys go? And you put your second piece out the block so that I couldn't get anywhere near and go. So we basically kept going back and forth with that. I was I was hoping you would make more mistakes on the terrain placement. I was like, Seth, you sure you don't want to put this in the uh, turn that terrain around? No, no, <laughs> sir. No, sir. What was your response, Seth? Were you able to maneuver your army into the midfield position behind the ruins and take up stance, or was Brad able to counter that? I, I was able to get up and and put my army, but the what ended up happening is turn one, I had to send a unit out to to contest that midfield objective. He only had probably four or five models on the objective, and they were next to the wall. I think they were corsairs of some yep. space elf piratey variety. So I had to send a unit forward because the way Brad had had positioned his models, you had first turn, right? Yeah, because I ended up charging turn one. Yeah, so my, the my, scorpions. Yeah, the scorpions charged crew turn one with an. I had an auto charge. So I moved up, and the funny thing is, is I actually had to do anything but a one. I was pretty excited about not having to use a CP on that. And then I was able to clear out some stuff, because the, the the thing that I thought I had the advantage on was I had just more stuff over yeah, the course of you, the you game. You had a lot more trash than I did. I've been trying to just paint the picture here. Your army's all hustled up behind the walls on your side of the board, and Brad's basically doing the same thing. But every turn, you're throwing out some Vespid or some crew. And Brad's throwing out some Corsairs or everything. Because he's got so much more trash, he's winning the trash war, so eventually you're going to have to commit. It was actually, I had to... So the way the, the the terrain was positioned, I felt kind of my secondary plan. I think I ended up taking no prisoners, stranglehold, and... What else did I take? Stranglehold, no prisoners. Like, I don't know, because I took... Because I took R&D stranglehold no prisoners yeah. also. I think I took R&D as well. Oh, yeah. What second have to go back. y'all take? I'd have to go back and look. <laughs> as uh, we tell you then. Yeah, as we're like, <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah. I know I took... I, so we did actually have... Oh, banners. That was what I did. Banners. Yes, that's because um, that's the other reason that I charged first turn is I wanted to yeah. basically that, stand The idea was I, I wanted you... I, I talked a fair bit about it with my teammates the night before trying to get a, a game plan going. No prisoners was I can't I can't let Brad just sit there and do what he wants. I have to go kill his models. If I let him sit there and do what he wants, he's going to win. So if I'm going to have to go out and kill you, I might as well take points from it. Um, stranglehold. Um, I think I should do decisive action, which is Tau Stranglehold, essentially, because my army's about taking objectives, so I might as well get some more secondary points out of that. And then Banners was, I'm trying to force you to come to me, even if you don't want to, because if you let me sit back and have two or three Banners all game, I'm going to I'm gonna get you know, 10, 12 points out of that. <laughs> that. That was one of my favorite things in the game. So I had assaulted the crew turn one. So I was just trying to stop the banner from going down. And Seth moves a, a one of the crisis suit unit and just kind of looks at me and just looks points at the dice. And I just go, no, and yeah. just pick him up and throw him in the thing. I'm like, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see how unbelievably dead their ancestors were also. Yes. <laughs> we got but but getting back to what you were, you were saying, Nick, I really couldn't use in this scenario, I couldn't use trash to go take the middle because I needed obsec. And my only obsec trash was, was the crew. And they were hanging back trying to do banners. Um, so I ended up using a unit of crisis suits with the idea being that they had the feel no pain on them if they could survive a round of shooting then they would be in a position to move around that big l and start putting shots on all the the juicy little elves on the inside um because brad had done a very good job with that angle to make it so even from my large forward l with the 16 inch move for the kind of auto six advance for for tau i wasn't going to be able to get an angle with the rest of my crisis team so i had to come out in the no man's land so if i was going to come out in the no man's land i might as well take an objective away from him for prime 
primary and get me three points for stranglehold was my thought process. I got you. So you took banners, which required the crew to be in the backfield. And then because of that, you had a stranglehold issues. You're like, let me feel my pain these crisis suits up. I'm going to put a big, big old tough unit in the middle of the board. I'm going to take this objective from Bradley and then I'm going to be all tough on here. And hopefully if I can survive, because I'm all tough, then I'm going to be able to move to a new angle that I would not be able to otherwise see from the safety behind my ruin. And then I blow up the inside of Bradley's castle. Did I more or less sum it up? Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a good summary. I had a brilliant plan from for the psychic phase just called Hope Brad Rose Rolls Poorly. That's always plan A. That's always plan A. <laughs> the better part was because he had uh, generators all over the place and all of my stuff was AP one or better. I kept saying that I was going to cast jinx on him and he kept going. So you're smiting me. And I'm like, like I said, I'm smiting you clearly because jinx makes absolutely no sense. And I did the uh, two psychic faces in a row. So I, cause at first I asked, I was like, does that modify the involved saying he's like, no. And I'm like, then why? I got two questions. I want to ask to your overall strategy. You took banners in hindsight. This meant you didn't have those skirmisher units to throw out onto that middle objective. Do you regret this choice, looking at how the game played out in hindsight? Yeah, because, you know, if you're looking at it from, like, how many points can you score, you know, like, 10 is a good day on banners, you know, 15 is I I was shellacking you. R&D, I probably, like, with the Vespid, I debated whether or not he was going to be able to screen out in Deep Strike, but he couldn't screen out that well, actually, in the game without exposing units. I, I actually think that I agree on that. The R&D would have been the safer choice with yeah. base points, because if I tried to screen you out from R&D, I got shot. That I mean, I barely could hide my stuff. Yeah. Doing it. Even then, if the crisis, yeah, there's a, I forget the name of, but there's a there's an ability on the ethereal data sheet where he can give a unit the ability to do an action and still shoot. So I could still have a crisis unit doing R and D with some line of sight to to plink some downfield shots to to clear some of that stuff out that maybe Brad had thrown out to screen desperate or something like that. So yeah, in hindsight, that that might have been a it, it would have forced a little bit more of of movement interaction from Brad. He's always a great a, like a hidden a bonus ability to taking things like R and D or putting units into strategic reserve, it makes your opponent want to screen. And if they're coming out to screen, they're coming into the line of sight. And for the Tau army, Seth, that's got to be good. Because, you know. Yes, it is. It is, uh, Bic. <laughs> so let me let me move on to my next question. For, to premise what happened here, I'm assuming the, the, the one unit with the feeling of pain that stood out in the open like brave little Tau souls, they, they met the doom and the jinx. And A the hail of. A hail of doom came their way. And they were not long for this world. Stupid Ted, however. You don't try to pass the damage Chuck versus Eldar with one unit. Because they got the debuffs. They got Doom. They got Jinx. They got God. They put you down. I popped out. I, I backed up all over the place. And used uh, Fire and Fade. Used the Auto 6 Battle Focus to get most everybody out. And then the one unit. The one unit and the one Warlock decided to both throw ones for Battle Focus. And even with the one, the entire unit can kind of not be seen. Except for one one nose of one bike, which literally looked like he was trying to peek around the corner to see what was going on. It's always the one bike. And what happened yeah. was uh, bad things went down. Well, the thing yeah. is with that move, though, and we'll talk about more in turn two and stuff. I, I do like a lot of that, but they put me down to bad primary for the first two turns, three, three turns. Well, so... I'm I'm seeing what you're saying, Bradley. You basically not only responded to, to Seth's gambit of putting the big unit out in the middle of the board here, you did not only respond by killing it, but you, for the most part, were able to remain yourself unseen with using battle focus and fire and fades and swooping hawks and all that jazz. So very Eldar-like of you. It was my battle cry. I think you also ran a unit of banshees into my yep. into one of my units of crisis suits that was behind a wall. 
I was trying to do a little damage, but I was mainly trying to make it so I wasn't getting any advance or anything off them for extra movement. So I knew I was going to die. I did a little chip damage. Mainly, I was just trying to go, stay here. Stay here for a minute. Kill these guys in the back. Seth, do you think that in hindsight, maybe bringing out the entire big army of town on one big turn instead of using the terrain like you typically do, just be like, everybody's coming to potty today. Brad's only got one turn to kill everything. And if you don't, I'm going to get on a sight on all the squishy little elves. Definitely in hindsight, I had I had talked kind of theory with some friends beforehand. And and yeah, there was going to be a go turn. I had always, I'm used to doing the go turn on turn two because I can get access to that fallback and shoot on turn three. Um, and and I just kind of fell into to old habits there because the reality is if Brad charges me with a bunch of trash, on if I move out my, my big all, all 18 suits and stand midfield turn one, you know, he's going to shoot a bunch of it, and he can try to charge some of it to tie it up. I still have two sources of fallback shoot and charge, which he's unlikely to be able to get both of those killed um, in that turn. And even if I can't fall back and, and shoot and charge with one unit, it can shoot into combat. So he's got whatever trash unit he's sending in is also not going to survive. So I certainly think that that is definitely a better a better play in hindsight would have been just to send all the suits out and just been like, all right, you have one turn to pick up you know, I think that in total, there's close to 90 T5 4-up inbound saves. Have six shield drones per squad. Too. Yeah, <laughs> so so 12. Many. And then, yeah, each squad in, ends up being uh, 46 wounds. So just, just putting all that out, you know, it's actually closer to 150 wounds. And just saying, here, I'm midfield. Deal with this. You did not mention that you had a special cup that had all of your burst cannon dice in there. <laughs> so the burst cannon unit fires 72 dice. And I and I had practiced a lot on TTS and, you know, rolling 72 dice on TTS is easy, but in real life, if you got to count that out every time, you might be concerned about clocks. So to make sure I didn't have to worry about that, I literally had a glass cup full of 72 dice. I didn't do the rest of my rolling with regular dice, and then I was like, and then this cup is the burst can. Well, Sal, I think you're hitting on a, on a subject that a lot of people are coming from, because a lot of people be playing 40k on the tabletop simulator, which is online, mm-hmm. of course, where you can just select 72 dice and roll them in the blink of an eye, and it will calculate all the results for you. But in this case, like you said, you're coming into the real life and the practicality of the matter comes into play i know a lot of people are struggling with that transition so i love your solution to the problem yeah i've, I've seen all kinds of you know people use different solutions um what was it pajama pants had a had like a dice box which basically box. was a tackle box yeah there's a bunch of different ways to do it but you know just having if, you, if you're having trouble managing time just you know get those things pre pre-set out in advance so you know okay i just grab this and go that's a big thing on that i, I love those the things like that a cup of dice movement trays things you know anything that makes it so you're spending less time with dumb things back in the days when i played orcs i had movement trays for everybody oh yeah i played horde two years in a row on etc so yes i've been really thinking that eventually nick's gonna let that accent accent slip and he's just he's he's dedicated he's dedicated to it in part one at least this is not an accent this is a, a new being that has been joined to the ottawa community which you too can join your young fine listeners if you just click that like and subscribe button there on the YouTube, or if you're listening on the interwebs, go to the, the Ottawa40k.com and sign up for that good old-fashioned war room. So we teach the good stuff. I, especially how to maintain these accents. Yeah. But, so, Bradley, bring bring us back to some 40k before I derail this show even further. <laughs> so, going into it, we'll talk more. I'm thinking about all the things I want to say in the Bradning, the second part, part two, after hours. 
But one of the things on that was going into the into this tournament, did you change, besides the changes, obviously, you want to make for Charity Hammer, which is an awesome thing that I can't go to this year, which makes me sad, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. But did you, with, besides those changes, were there any changes you made because of the fact that you knew what the terrain was going to be and it was going to be player place? Because we actually, in the pack, the uh, packet, yeah. we actually showed pictures of all the terrain, so we knew we were going to have some larger pieces of terrain. But also, with the large pieces of terrain, it's also limited in pieces of terrain. So you knew you could do specific strategies but you weren't going to be able to put things just everywhere yeah so that that's um I, I played a few games into armor of contempt beforehand and armor of contempt doesn't seem like a big change until you start stacking cover and you know potential psychic powers for improved saves and it can it can really diminish your ap you're talking about you know even just a base ap4 plasma rifle shooting a marine in cover becomes essentially ap2 so now they're Saving on fives, so I, I threw the target lock on the uh, the crisis commander with the plasma rifles just for that uh, to make sure that um, that nova surge when it did hit and wound uh, didn't didn't get any cheeky six ups or anything like that to stop it from didn't bounce any up anybody. Yeah, I felt with the the burst cannon unit that I was able to get angles most of the time. We'll we'll talk about it in the second half. Most folks didn't uh, as aggressively measure uh, terrain, I think, as as they could have and hit, hit as well. But the burst cannon unit was was viable in just about every other matchup. Because they were able to get angles, um, even just to a few models. And then when you have a few models and I dump 72 dice at them, wounding on sixes to hit, re-rolling ones, re-rolling, you know, all wounds or something like that, it just ends up... I mean, the, the first round of the event, I played into Deathwing Terminators. And uh, that unit picked up like seven or eight Terminators just on buckets of dice alone. Oh, still just volume. Ones are yeah. still ones. You know what I mean? Yep. I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, on odds, every six dice is a one. So. <laughs> and when you're like, so here's... Here's 50 wounds. Roll your saves. They're like, wait, what? So, Seth, let me let me ask you this question. I'm mean, a bit more philosophical to the way the terrain played out. So, your whole strategy was park up behind the terrain on turn one, then turn two, run on out there and blow everything up. And this got blundered by Bradley because he hid behind the walls. So you you couldn't see anything when you went for your all-out explosion turn. So it basically made you piecemeal your army, which got y'all killed. So did no one else hide behind these walls? Why was this well, a unique Bradley strategy? Well, well, if I'm honest, I, I prepared a lot for NIDs. Um, and a lot of the NID stuff can't hide as well. They're just they're a physically a bigger footprint. And the, a lot of the other armies, they, they were able to hide, but they weren't able to hide for long. And, and no one had the damage potential like that Hail of Doom did, where if I sent one unit out, there were other armies that spent their entire shooting phase hitting one unit of crisis suits and would just get through the shield drones or get through the shield drones and one dude. Um, so they were they were a very durable block most of the other time. So I could throw them out as bait. I also used some of the characters as bait in the past. I was playing a custode player that had five Virtus Praetor bikes, which are, are no bueno. I don't want those coming near me. But I, I put my uh, ethereal uh, forward and, and baited him into a charge. And then once that unit had left the L, now they're standing in front of the crisis suits. The crisis suits can pick up the Virtus Praetors. So I, I was using bait in a lot of games and and in this one uh brad didn't fall for the bait yeah. <laughs> i am willing to use my battle cry if not in the face as much yep. as humanly possible bradley's one of those auto coaches i think they know how to play or something not they the do bait. they do i heard i heard that once or twice you are killing me with this take me into the part two give it give me some questions you want to end part one with nick and then take me into the the Bradning. You ready to move on to the Bradning? You already. Do you think the accent's not coming with me? You think we're leaving the accent in part one? I'm only. I can only hope. I can only hope, my you friend. Don't even know. 
This man don't even know. You hear this internet? This man don't even know. All right, Seth, let me tell you about that good stuff. Over here in part two, that's where we're going to talk about your list even further. How are you going to learn from this loss? You know, we just gave the whole teaser of the episode. We set the table for this fine course of pain train. We just gave down the battle report. What went wrong in Seth's game plan? But over in part two, for you subscribers and you War Room Podcast combo members, now available on YouTube as well, you can find out not only how Seth lost, but how are you going to learn from this lose to live and lose again? None of those were words. None of those were words. were words. <laughs> they were words. Okay. So sign up in part two. We'll see you over there. Subscribers only, but that's the good stuff. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next week. I'll be back. Don't you forget it. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com. 